everyone. Welcome to Mercy Talk. I am one of your hosts, Melanie Wise. And I'm your other host, Jen Otero. Mercy Talk is presented to you by Mercy Multiplied, a nonprofit Christian organization that is committed to seeing hope restored and lives transformed through the love and power of Christ. Since 1983, Mercy has helped thousands of young women break free from life-controlling behaviors and struggles through our free-of-charge, biblically-based residential program. That's right. And Mercy's outreach activities are designed to educate, equip, and empower men and women of all ages to live free and to stay free. So on Mercy Talk, we want to tackle real-life issues and everyday struggles that affect our lives by applying the same biblically-based principles of freedom that we've seen effectively change lives for 35 years. To find out more, go to mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. It's been quite a journey, really has. And I want to introduce, this is Ariella, Ariella Fay. Uh, we, my husband and I really believe in naming our children prophetically and really seeking the Lord who knows them first, um, who they are. Um, and we had a strong sense of our children before they were born, even though we were in the midst of an infertility battle. Um, by the way, after mercy. <laughs> um, girls, you don't leave here perfect, you leave here equipped. Um, and so that's really important. That's the first good point. Um, so this here is Ariella. Ariella, what does your name mean? What does Ariella mean? The King's Lioness. That's right. Yeah, she's also Little Ari, named after Ariana. Um, but she is, she is the King's Lioness, and Fay is an old English word meaning determined faith. So she is the King's Lioness of determined faith. Um, Reuben um, is six. We miss Reuben, don't we? He's home with Daddy. Um, Reuben um, means, behold, you have a son. And it's the words that God spoke to my husband in the midst of our infertility battle when Rob was really struggling with his faith and really struggling to break through. You know, and, you know, we sing in that song, which is, uh, you know, you'll never let me down. You're never going to let me down. How hard is it sometimes to sing those words? Like, really, let's be honest. Sometimes you have to push those words out of your mouth and inside you're raging. Well, that's where he was. And God showed a vision of a big oak tree and Rob laughed going, you know, I don't want to be that. And God said, it's not you, it's your son. And uh, so we looked at each other and we're like, oh my gosh, we have a son, we're going to have a son. And so Reuben means, behold, you have a son. And Gabriel means, and he shall be a man of God. So it's, behold, you have a son and he shall be a man of God. So um, Reuben is a lot of fun, isn't he? He's autistic ADHD, but he's highly functional, highly intelligent and highly funny, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> we love him. Um, so, and these guys are really good friends, aren't you? You too. Yeah. Um, and also we have with us is Charmian, not Charmaine, as she gets called all the time, all the time. Uh, Charmian, or just Charms, if you like. Um, and so she has been with Mercy UK for a year, but in that year she has gone through three jobs. You're about to go your fourth. Oh, about to go into your third. Yeah, so she, you came on with as a... Which is, yeah, so which is the household manager and then I guess uh, you call it a director of counselling. We do it slightly different in the UK, so, uh, but uh, same heart, same vision. You want to show a picture of Ruben and Daddy? Well, there's one on my phone and if someone can work out how to 
the other. Yeah. Well, someone will work it out. But you can stay there, Ariella. And if, you, if someone gets it done before the end, I'm sure we can show it. Um, but it's right. It's been 17 years to the day that I walked through those doors, Valentine's Day 2001, very angry, very raging. But what I need to let you know is that although it's been 17 years, the things that I learned and the things that impacted me have become anchors in my life. They've become a foundation to which I build my life upon. You know, I, I walked around this home again earlier this morning. Some of you would have seen. You know, that stairwell there, that stairwell is where I realized I had a massive fear of being misunderstood 17 years ago. Um, the, um, <clears throat> let me see, that stairwell down there, yeah, we've had some fun. <laughs> that was my adrenaline outlet. That's where I worked out my rage down there, and I had some rage. Um, where else? Let me see. Oh, the grate, the grate, just, just there. Do you know the grate that I mean? That was, that was my prayer spot. That's where I learned to forgive, right there. That was a big journey. Um, the library sitting in the library, that's when I first felt Jesus invite me to dance with him. And when I danced with him in worship, whilst everyone else was in the hustle and bustle of getting ready for church on a Sunday morning, and I stole away just 15 minutes, point number two, steal away as many 15 minutes as you can with the Lord in the busyness of the home. But in that 15 minutes, I got an anchor from the Lord that has removed any fear of death because what he whispered to me as I danced with him is, one day, my darling, we'll do this for real. So the day of my death, party. <laughs> awesome. And that basketball court over there, where I shouldn't have been at the time I was, <laughs> is when God first said, I love you. And I heard his voice. So those are all things that are the anchors of which I have, that have held me in every storm that I have faced after mercy. And that's really important to know. You leave here equipped, not perfect. And so any expectations you have to leave here perfect, any expectation you think is on you as a mercy graduate does not exist. All you need to do is learn to be happy with who you are and live for him. But that, ladies, don't we agree, is easier said than done. Um, the message I want to share with you today is actually a message I first heard sitting in this very room by a visiting speaker, <laughs> Pastor Stan. Remember him? Pastor Stan. He was young. We all liked him. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that too was true. <laughs> um, and I think I was sitting right there. And uh, he, he opened up a story uh, to us all about Mary. And the reason I have so loved it, and it's become my own signature message, is because when he went through the story of Mary, I had such an affinity to her. I just absolutely could relate to her journey that it actually planted a, a seed in my life that's become an oak tree. Um, it was not the Virgin Mary, by the way. Um, we don't have that much in common. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> 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 
So it was actually Mary of Bethany. And uh, I'm going to walk you through the same story that I was walked through 17 years ago. So let's go to Luke 10, uh, 38, and I'll start reading. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The reason I could really relate to that is because Mary had taken on the posture of a student. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's the first time we meet Mary of Bethany and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now you have to kind of put yourself in that position because she's not just sitting and just um, being idle in her sitting. She is actively leaning in. Now you've got to remember that the disciples, they've all come back in. They are, they're taking a bit of a sailor. Jesus is taking a sailor with his friends. So it's downtime for Jesus and the disciples. The disciples were, were, were teenagers. They were like in their late teens. And so there would have been a lot of banter and they would have been sharing the stories of what they'd seen Jesus do. So she's listening into all of this. She's listening to the stories of the, the, the dead that Jesus has raised and the, the, the blind that could see and just the way that he had compassion and the way that he handled different situations. And she is falling in love with this man named Jesus. This idea that such a man could also be God and have such power and influence and purpose. And... It is very similar to how I spent my childhood because I'm a church girl. I was a PK and an MK. I was a pastor's kid and a missionary kid. So I was raised in church. So I, it's sitting on the hard wooden floors in Sunday school, uh, did my best to learn all of the books in the Bible so that I could win a Bible. <laughs> you know, and different things like that. You know, typical Sunday school. I was so into the Sunday school world and into the church world that I actually believed, I actually believed you could go to prison if you had sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely believed it is illegal and I will, go, I will go to prison for it. There were a lot of things like that where I didn't have any other frame of reference for the world. I believed that the world was simply church. I didn't have any other frame of reference. And I was like Mary in that I would hear of the stories, I would know the Sunday school stories, I would know of the miracles, the story of Daniel and the lions, it's like, that's so cool, David and Goliath, so cool. And so I would fall in love with this idea of Jesus and his purpose and his sovereignty and the excitement that he seemed to come with. And I was like Mary in that. We notice though what Jesus says, because when she's challenged for taking on that posture, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken 
away from her. Um, did I bring my water? No. So it says, will not be taken away from her. Oh, you got the picture. Well done, sweetheart. Well, that's a good one, too. Um, now, for things to be taken away from a woman was really common in that day. So what I want you just to kind of tuck away is this thought. Because it was so common for things to be taken from women, women in that time didn't have possessions. Some didn't even have a name, okay? Some, it's like we, we have in the story, the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name because a name were privileged things. Women were commodities, women were slaves, women were seen but not heard. So for Jesus to say what she's chosen is not gonna be taken from her. His words, that promise, landed in a fear and an insecurity, okay? So just tuck that away, because I'm gonna come back to that. Because the truth is, very quickly, the idea of who Jesus was, was challenged. And I wanna take you to John 11. Now this is the second time we see Mary. Let's read from verse 3, John 11, verse 3. So the sisters, so hang on. Okay, let me just give you some context, okay? So it's Mary and Martha, the sisters, and they have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus is sick, and the sisters are really quite concerned. So here we are. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. So, Lazarus is sick. Mary, who loves Jesus, and Martha, who loves Jesus, they have an idea. We're going to send a message to him. We'll send a messenger. Now, notice they were intentional. They were tracking with Jesus. They knew where he was. It wasn't a last-minute thought of, oh, let's just go for Jesus. They loved him. They loved him as I loved him. And so they said, okay, I know what we're going to do. We need Jesus to come. Because we know that Jesus is a healer. Yes, my darling. He's got sick. Oh, that's it. Good job, thanks. Um, she's totally a mini-me. Um, so, so they're like, oh, we know what to do. We know that Jesus is a healer. Remember all those stories? We know that he'll come. We know that he loves us. Because they say, the one you love is sick. And then it says, yet... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, I want to skip down to verse 17. Because by this time, by the time Jesus even shows up, Lazarus is dead. But hang on a minute. <laughs> the message that Jesus sent back to the sisters was this sickness will not end in death. Well, how the heck do you explain the fact that Lazarus is dead, Jesus? What the heck is that about? 
Because by the time he shows up, not only is he dead, I mean, he is like, he's like buried. He's like four days in the tomb, stinking. And it says in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had, oh, Jesus found, oh, like he didn't know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb, my bad, for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. What? A kick in the teeth for Mary and Martha. He was two miles away. Or in fact, he didn't even have to travel two miles. He could have just done what he did with a centurion and said, you know, when centurion said, I understand authority, just speak the words and he'll be healed. They, they understood that and yet he didn't bother to show. He didn't come. I'm really confused why you have a picture of an elephant up there. Just. <laughs> Yeah, you are too. Good, it's not just me then. Okay. <laughs> but look at the response of the sisters. Now, many Jews had come, it says here in verse 19, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Look at this interaction that Martha had with Jesus. She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know she knew her stuff, did Martha. She knew her stuff. She knew her word. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, oh, I know. Mm -hmm. I know because I know the word. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's all right, it's fine. <laughs> I know he'll rise again in the resurrection, it's fine. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, so when you said the sickness will not in death, you actually meant, He's going to die, but live in heaven. <laughs> okay, that's how we'll interpret it. And then, I'm fine. She knew her word. Says so yes. Uh, she said, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After, and I'm going to come back to their interaction as well in a little while. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Mary, the teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now imagine that, okay? Notice how that is the, the context there. Because she got up with such force, with such determination, that the Jews around her assumed, oh, she's broken. Oh, it's hit her. Her brother is dead. And it's fine. The grief has hit her. She's going to go and mourn. And again, in those days, mourning, you could hire professional mourners. Did you know that in those days? Because the louder the mourning, you know, the more the significance of the relationship of the person that had died and the importance and the loss. And so they automatically assumed that she was going to go and mourn and go to the tomb. But she didn't. 
what she did is she marched right up to Jesus like that. <laughs> and she looked him in the face. And then notice this. When Mary reached the place, verse 32, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. It's the second time you see Mary and her interaction with Jesus. Where is she? At his feet. At his feet. And she says this, out of her mouth comes this. Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. When you understand the relationship between Mary and Jesus a little bit more, I can understand a little bit more why he wept. Because you know what Mary was actually grieving? It wasn't just the loss of her brother. She was grieving the loss of who she thought Jesus was. You were my healer. You were my savior. You were my shepherd. You were, I gave you, I believed you. She was mourning the loss of who she believed Jesus was to her. The one you love is sick, she said, and yet he didn't even bother to show. That's why Jesus wept. Because at that moment, she could have walked away from him. It's as similar to the moment that I told you right at the beginning when I was out on that basketball court right there. Because you know what? We can all be like Martha and Martha gets, she gets a raw deal sometimes, doesn't she? Like, I'm going to give Martha a really big hug in heaven and say, I'm really sorry for all the flack you got. <laughs> because she was busy and because it's easier to rely on religion than to lean on relationship with Jesus when the going gets tough. Because when Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead, in verse 39, he says, take away the stone. Martha says, but Lord, <laughs> um, just so you know, um, by this time there's going to be a really bad odor. Um, for he's been in there for four days, in case you didn't know Jesus, like, he's going to smell. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with the unorthodox way you are handling my life's crisis right now. I'm not sure I'm in full agreement with that, because you said you could just raise him in the resurrection in the last days. See, that's far more easier to do it the religious way, because then I also don't need to face how I really feel right now. Religion can be a mask. And we can say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But really, or we can stand and sing those words. Yeah, I'm never gonna let, I'm never gonna let me down. <laughs> you are raging. I need you to know you can rage. He already knows it's there. He already knows it's there. Religion ain't gonna hide it. I'm fine, ain't gonna hide it. Even searching this for the answer 
apart from the presence and the Spirit of God to interpret this is not the answer. In John 5.39, Jesus, Jesus says these words. He says, you diligently search the scriptures, hoping that within them you'll find eternal life. But you don't realize they're all signposting to me. So don't even use this as your crux. Because this is just black and white words on a page without him, without relationship. Because only he can interpret the heart and spirit behind his words. It's the mistake that Moses made. Moses stopped meeting with God face to face in the tent and he stopped at the outside. He stopped entering in. And whilst he heard the words of God, Moses actually stopped seeing the facial expressions of the God who spoke those words. And that became Moses' downfall. He started to please the people. Look, look, I'm seeking the Lord for us. Look at the relationship I have with the Lord. I'm going to stop outside the tent of meeting. And you know what? Moses began to make mistakes. He began to follow the words without the heart. It's when he started to say to the Israelites, he started to say, you rebellious lot. <laughs> you want water? Smash there, have water. And God's like, no. I needed you to give them water because I am compassionate. But you have not communicated my compassion. And the Israelites felt lost and abandoned by God. But he, he hadn't abandoned them. Moses had just stopped meeting face to face. So we cannot just rely on black and white words or on religion or on what we, the money in the bank we've already put in our relationship with God all that time ago. It has to be face to face, at his feet, authentic. I had the privilege of being able to put that breakthrough moment to film uh, last year. It's five minutes long, we have the time. You wanna see it? Awesome. Uh, we can come back to it. Oh, wait, looks like it might work now. Made you jump. The UK didn't exist then. So, C4. My room. Left bed. The fact that she just said UK did not exist back then, she, this girl right here was literally the seed 
for Mercy UK to exist today. And that is an absolute fact. I don't think, I'm not sure if she knew that, that that's what was always gonna happen, but I mean, she's changing the world, y'all. And, and for you girls that are in your seats, you need to know God's got that for you as well. Choices that bring change if you choose. And for you staff who have been so faithful, I hope that this encourages the heck out of you for, for the labor of love that you do every single day. I mean, it's phenomenal. This is one life that has definitely multiplied into thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So what you do every day matters so much. And I just wanted to say that to y'all because it's like huge. And we have another little world changer here who's also a graduate of this program, and I'm gonna pull her up when you're done, and that's Sarah Dixon right here, who is gonna be getting married in how many days? Three days? So yeah, we're gonna hear from her when we're done hearing from you. But these, these two represent literally hundreds of thousands of lives that have been packed in other nations and they both graduated from this home right here. So. Yeah. 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 How are we? Are we, We're are we good? Okay. When I was 12, we ended up moving house, leaving everything that was familiar. And at that point, everything changed. We would often go and just play in the park and there were a lot of other children around, so it was great. There's opportunity for new friends here. But I don't think any of us really expected to find what we did down there. There was an older man that would also be part of the crowd, but he did take a liking to me and it was more than any of the other girls. I just didn't realize that it was grooming. I didn't realize he was grooming me. Within the first year, he introduced me to sex, to drugs, to fast cars and fast living. And because I thought it was normal, I just thought, right, well, I better learn how to live it. But what never felt normal was the way that I felt on the inside constantly. Because I'd been raised in church and I kept remembering all of these stories I'd learned. And the hero in all of these stories always was God. He's meant to be good and a protector. And if he wasn't those things to me, and yet he still loves me, <laughs> then the way I can hurt him and get his attention is by hurting myself. I'm putting myself in as much risk as possible. And that is when at 17, I hit the self-destruct button. I just had no sense of value. So if you want to satisfy yourself, fine. If you want to use me, fine. You want to hurt me, fine. I'm already broken. But on the inside, actually, it's a really frightening place to be. When you're living in a really dark place, you really notice when someone takes time to notice you and to reach out. And that's what my sister did. She said, Debbie, what you experienced was abuse. <laughs> it was like a light bulb went on. I saw everything that I had gone through with totally different eyes. She then gave me a book full of these turnaround stories of girls just like me. And it had come from an organization called Mercy. 
I started to think, I'm not the only one in the world that feels like this. Less than a year later, I found myself walking through the doors of this residential home, feeling the same, feeling broken, feeling dirty, feeling ashamed, but also feeling hopeful for the first time in a really long time. One of the things I really needed to be authentic about was how much I hated God. And I remember grabbing a basketball. You know the sound it makes when it hits the concrete? Every time it made that sound. That darkness and the hatred I felt towards God seemed to bubble up and surface and surface and surface. And I said to him, so what have you got to say for yourself? Not even you could rescue me. I felt utterly betrayed. And as I turned to walk away, I heard his voice in my heart, right here. And he said, I love you. I'm supposed to be unlovable and broken, but what he said to me in that moment, he knew was exactly what I needed to hear. Am I gonna tell you that my life completely changed from that moment? No, it didn't. But what happened in that moment is that it's like a seed was planted. As it took root in my heart, it started to uproot, if you like, things that I'd actually believed about myself. And it's changed the way I look at myself. And it's changed the way I look at my past. And it's changed the way I look at my future. I actually see it through hope. Not hopelessness, like I used to, not brokenness. But actually, I know now. I know. I know. I know that God loves me. His love has become safe. It's actually a real relationship. As much as we sometimes hate to admit it, we can't fix ourselves. And actually, it is only Jesus that can. You know what the truth is? Is that in order to live a life abandoned to God, you have to, you have to admit and be willing to face where you felt abandoned by him. There ain't no other way. Do you guys have um, the bear hunt story here? No? We're going on a bear hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. And it's like, a, uh-oh, long grass. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We gotta go through it. It's the same principle. We could say that about life controlling issues. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You've gotta go through it. So to live a life abandoned to him, you have to be willing to face where you felt abandoned by him. And that is what it looks like. That happened standing right on that car park parking lot 17 years ago, right there. But it's changed my life. It's the foundation of my life, knowing that I didn't just make that up when I raged at the Lord and his response to me. And I, I, I am not, I am, I mean, I was authentic. By that I mean, I, I called him every name 
I used every curse word. I was belligerent and foul and vile to him. And his response to me, like he hadn't even heard a word or a name I just called him, was, I love you. Because the thing is, this is the thing about God. He knew it was already there. <laughs> I didn't really, if I'm honest, expect to hear anything from him, but he knew exactly what I needed to hear. And that's, those are the words. I love you. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> Tell them I love them. He says, I love you. When you encounter that, when you pour yourself out, which is what Mary goes on to do, when she pours out in the most beautiful way that we see her in the last place we see her, she is yet again, guess where? At his feet. John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. <laughs> this sickness will not end in death. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, hmm? while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. It says this, Mary took a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I want to pause there because I actually want to unpack that a little bit with you. I don't, <laughs> unless you study the, t the, the culture of the day, it can be lost on us, the significance of what she just did. Because, let me just paint this picture. For a woman to walk into a room of men, uninvited, was an absolute disgrace. Furthermore, she's emotional. <laughs> she is weeping, and like, I mean, full on weeping. Well, of course she is. Of course she is, because she has got the heavy hand of God on her, because she is about to do something that is recorded, and we are thousands of years later reading about it pouring out her life before him and everybody else in the room. So she enters uninvited into this room of men. Then she does this. She lets down her hair. That was a thing of prostitutes. That was a thing of harlots. That's the equivalent of you stripping off naked. Mm -hmm. That's fine, you can laugh, especially if you're visual. Can you just imagine doing that in today's society? Can we just agree we would feel incredibly vulnerable? Incredibly vulnerable. So she is doing the equivalent of that in a room full of men, and then she doesn't just like sidle across down the side. She walks straight down the middle of this room, straight to Jesus, straight to his feet. And she begins to live and show what a life abandoned to him looks like, regardless of who else is in the room. I've had moments like this in this room. But I want to show you something. Because it's not without challenge, as we know. 
If you're going to live a life abandoned to God, I need to let you know you're going to be challenged. After mercy, I have faced some of my hardest faith journeys. I battled infertility for three years. I had to battle through wondering why God wasn't coming through on that. I went through prosecuting my abuser in the last five years. I went through more therapy to deepen my own, the trauma memories locked in my body. Now I was healed and I was walking in freedom, but I need you to know that God is without limit. There is no limit therefore to the healing you can walk in. Healing, write this down, healing comes in layers. Healing comes in layers. We train our staff, Dope Xiaomian, when staff come to us for an interview, we actually put a disclaimer in the interview. We say to them, um, by the way, you need to know, if you are going to work here, you need to prepare for your life to be turned upside down. And we watch for a few things. One, if they come to interview and they say, oh my gosh, I've had the worst week. We're like, hmm, eh? She's had the worst week. That's a good side. And then, and then within the first 30 days, if that staff member goes, I just feel so inadequate, we're like, oh, we've got a good one. <laughs> we're like, yes, embrace it. <laughs> so, and we do, we say that because healing comes in layers. And we say this to our staff. You know, if you work for a, you don't say crisp factory, chip, if you work for a chip factory, uh, what you take home with you at the end of the night is chips, free chips. If you work for Freedom Ministry, what you take home with you, staff, is freedom. But you have to be willing to go on the same journey and encounter the same layers, ongoing layers of healing and the same principles that residents in this room are having to learn every day. Because the truth is that you set the ceiling of what God can do in the home. And so we have to be willing to journey that. We have to, because we're just human. We're actually all on the same journey. It just so happens that some of the staff are further along in their walk. That's all. That's all. They're just on the other side of the desk. But they're having to put in place the same principles and learn to live a life abandoned to God in the same way, at the same cost. But I want you to see here, because yes, she's challenged by Judas Iscariot. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. But I want you to notice, she is at her most vulnerable that she has ever been, ever been. Because abandonment to him will do that. I need you to know that God is good, but he is not tame. Mm, 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 mm. He is not tame. He is wild. And if you live a life abandoned to him, and if you can go the, go the whole way with him, he's going to take you on some adventures. My life is an adventure. It's a challenge, but it's an adventure. Well, that is what being abandoned to him looks like. You just got to hold on and enjoy the ride and be willing to pay the cost. Freedom is free, but not without cost. But this is what Jesus says, because she can hear every challenge, every judgment being spouted against her, but she doesn't have to defend herself, because look, Jesus says, leave her alone. 
back off. She is the most vulnerable she has ever been, and yet she is her most secure. It's a paradox. When you become vulnerable before him, before your counselor, before those who can walk the journey with you, when you become vulnerable first and foremost for his purposes, you become your most secure. Your most secure. Um, so uh, I do this regularly in that what I mean is I speak a message and then I'm empty and then I go, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so I think I want to just put it out to you guys a little bit because you are currently on the journey. You are the ones having to wrestle some things. As you're sitting here and I'm speaking, what are some of the questions you have? What is it that you really want to know? Because for me, there are no taboos, and I'm secure, and I have good boundaries. So if I don't want to answer, I'll let you know. Um, I'm going to switch mics so we can give one to them and have you okay, sure. when we do this. Because okay. I think we've got a couple of minutes, and then you know, Sarah, to come up too. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to come up? Because you have walked the life of. I don't know if you know about yet. I don't think she does. Okay, tell me. Okay. Well, back, we'll back up. I, so I met Sarah because uh, she came over and did a week. Sarah's actually a ministry leader. She's a missionary. Um, so Sarah came over to the UK to deliver. Well, you met me when I was in the program. Yeah, I came over for a visit. Ago. I was here. Yeah. So she, so she was, was here. getting ready for UK with Ariana. And I was here in the program. Yeah. So I remember her in the program. 2005, 2006. Yeah. So we were just preparing to open the doors for our first residence. I came over. She was in the program. And I remember her as a resident here when I came to visit. Then about a couple of years ago. Me and Jessica went to the UK on a ministry team to do some art ministry with the girls. Yeah. Here, take it. So... I was based in Southeast Asia, and I graduated in 2006, started a nonprofit, and now we're based in Southeast Asia doing, incorporating the arts in different trauma ministries and counselings throughout South and Southeast Asia. So we did some ministry with the UK girls, and during that time was just, yeah, just amazed by their program and structure and the similarities and the differences, and really felt God calling me to come back and just spend some more extended time just learn from them and uh so then i came back last year mm -hmm. and got to to spend some more time up there in the uk and uh i had met the man that i'm going to marry and we were moving towards marriage and i was walking through some of my own journey there and debbie linked arms with me and i told her i was like i i can't get married until i see some breakthrough in in some of these areas like i can't do it and she linked arms and said, we're going to see this breakthrough by the time you get married. And then she had a dream that she was in a bridesmaid's dress. So she is going to be standing next to me at my wedding on yeah. Saturday. And Arielle is going to be a flower girl. 
and it has just been, yeah, she's become one of my dearest friends, so it's been amazing. But yesterday we had a meeting with um, some different leaders in Franklin, and we, Debbie's gonna be coming with me to Nepal in two months and incorporating Empower and Keys to Freedom into a leadership training in Nepal um, for about 200 and so people. So we're linking up and, and taking this back to Asia. Yeah, I know, it's amazing, yeah. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed, or if you'd like to share your ideas for future podcast topics, please let us know by emailing us at mercytalk at mercymultiply.com. And if you're enjoying Mercy Talk, be sure that you go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review. We also want to remind you that Mercy Multiplied and Mercy Talk are funded solely by donors, and we are so thankful for the support of so many people all over the country and even the world. So please consider supporting this free programming by giving a gift at mercymultiplied.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thanks for listening today, and we hope you'll join us next week.